Do you live in the middle of nowhere and feel separated from the church? Yeah, that's me. Or do you think the church is out of touch? Absolutely. Then this podcast is for you. Coming to you from the Diocese of Sioux City. What? Where the hell is Sioux City? Welcome to Outcast Catholic with your hosts, Father Sheen Demon and Father Travis Crotty. Hey, ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to Outcast Catholic. I'm Father Travis Crotty. And I'm Father Shane Demon. And I got to make an apology. So apparently, Father Taylor Leffler's called me out, and apparently, I say absolutely too much on the show. You absolutely say Have it you too noticed much. that? I haven't. Apparently, we both kind of do. Because I, he called it out. So he called it out a few weeks ago, <laughs> but the last two episodes we recorded had already been released. And within the first, I think, 30 seconds, we both said absolutely four or five times. Because I think what happens is we make a great point, and then the other guy just says, absolutely, absolutely, mm. absolutely, wonderful. So just as much as now I'm making a concerted effort not to mess with all this stuff that makes <laughs> Father Shane mad, like all these, and touch the stand and stuff with my hands, I will also try very, very hard to up my thesaurus and choose different words to use besides uh, Father Taylor Leffler's least favorite word, absolutely. Or I'll just keep saying it just to make him mad, which probably will be the, the better choice. I don't think he's going to disown you if you keep saying absolutely. You know, so it's just, no. it's kind of like a... Your friendship runs deep. Now, I wonder, is it is it like, is it just a kind of like a, a tick that I have or is it my shtick? You know, it's like, is it my thing? Like I say absolutely, that's my thing, you know? Well, people usually have a shtick. You right. Know, they have like their phrase. You say... Thank you. That's that's <laughs> yours. That's what you do. As the seminarians caught on within about four and a half days of me being vocation director in 2015. What was very funny about that was we were doing impersonations of the former vocation director in the car with you. And you said like, but surely you don't have impersonations of me. Meanwhile, oh. we had already been doing impersonations <laughs> of you behind your back uh -huh. before that time. Sure, sure, sure. <laughs> exactly. Well, um, We'll just have to be, you know, mindful of this. We don't want to offend our listeners, especially the Reverend Taylor Leffler in the Great Archdiocese of Omaha. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, How have you been, Father Shane? Good. 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 Lent is off to a good start. See, now you're doing weird stuff in the microphone. It's too touchy. So when you're doing this thing, it's making noise. I'm sorry. That's okay. You call me. I get. You know. <laughs> Lent is off. To, we're gonna, ladies and gentlemen, we uh, we have to start recording these episodes with uh, our hands in our pockets so that we don't yeah, touch any equipment behind our backs <laughs> yeah right. lent is starting you run around a little bit doing stuff yeah but lent is off to a good start good. this is always for a vocation director this is always a busy season um a lot of come and see weekends at seminaries midterms in the spring semester for yeah. seminary and evals um just starting ordination preparations but mm -hmm. Uh, things are good. Lens off to a good start. Yeah, great. I man, I love I love hearing confessions. I tell people often that's my favorite part of the priesthood. Mm -hmm. Celebrating mass is wonderful, incredible, but confessions are really beautiful. People, it's beautiful to see people's faith um, be really stirred up during Lent. Yeah, and already even in these first few weeks to see some increased confessions. People come back to the sacrament, which has been wonderful. Yeah. I love Lent. Yeah. <laughs> I do. And, and there's people out there who can't stand the season. It's a real, you know, just drudgery for them. But I, I like the season. I, I People gear up. They they take it spiritually seriously. Um, I mean, they can be a little Pelagian where they're just like, I have to conquer Lent. I have to do it all. I have an interesting question. Okay. Maybe I've already heard your response because of some friends that I've been talking about this. So the way I grew up with Lent is that it was like, you give up this one particular thing and you do it for the entire time, right? Mm -hmm. But then I got to seminary, and there's this kind of like, 
it, part of it seems kind of loosey-goosey. Part of it seems like beautiful Catholic devotion where it's this idea that the 40 days don't include the Sundays. Yeah. So the question becomes, do you like take a break from whatever kind of fasting observance that you've practiced on the Sundays or not? Yeah, I think that's nonsense. <laughs> and and maybe there's some liturgical theologians out there who will point out that the actual 40-day number doesn't include Sundays. Yes. It's still a Lord's Day of Resurrection. I always respond, well, then why do we still wear purple vestments on the Sundays of Lent so and not some, white? I read some interesting article that was trying to make a distinction between um, the season of Lent and the sort of like observances of fasting or something. But So you're not, you're, you're an anti- Give it a break on Sunday, guy. I am. Because okay. I tried that once. Uh-huh. I tried that, and all I was doing is what I was just binging on what I was giving up on right. Sundays, and just making it another six weeks till the next, next binge did me no spiritual good. Exactly. Um, I, I don't know how you consider it a season. If the season is really only six days, then you just reset. Yeah. I, I don't find that spiritually fruitful. That's right. Um. So suck it up, Chuckles. I think see, you need to go six weeks. I know, and see, I'm I'm this guy where it's like I'm just really bad at fasting, so I just like the idea of having a break. Yeah, well, that's the whole point. <laughs> that's the point of the I'm fasting. Just trying to celebrate the resurrection of my Lord, are you, Father Shane. Are you just admitting I suck at fasting <laughs> and I need both? And but I'm really good at making excuses for myself too. Okay, you know? there again, there, it is. <laughs> there again. There it is. Listen, speaking of of, of fasting and. Um, consuming things that you've given up on Sundays. Mm-hmm. Hypothetically, I've not that I've ever tried that, you know. Of course not. Um perhaps you've heard this this line that's often used by people who maybe who are both still in the church or who've left the church. It's a very popular line. They say, I'm not being fed. Mm-hmm. Heard this before? I just kind of made a video for my school. So if people in Lamar's are listening to this podcast, it might be the same thing, but it doesn't hurt to hear it again. I've just heard that from a few people recently. I'm not being fed. I fast all the time, Father. I'm not being fed. <laughs> no, I, I'm not being fed from the experience of my parish. I'm not being fed by the experience of Catholic liturgy and worship and prayer life. Therefore, I'm going to leave. I'm going to seek out that the satisfaction of that spiritual hunger somewhere else, in right. some other church, maybe in some other Protestant church, or maybe just on a hike on a Sunday instead of, instead of Mass. Right? I'm not we hope a fed. spiritual hunger. Exactly. Yeah. 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 So I, I've just been thinking about that a lot. And it reminded me of the two books. We might have mentioned them before, but Divine Renovation from Father Mallon. Father Mallon in Halifax, right? Yep. Canada. And then uh, Rebuilt from, mm-hmm. I forget the priest's name, but in Maryland. Right. Right. So it was interesting. Um, I forget where it was, that where the video was, where they had both of the priests both kind of teams from divine renovation rebuilt speaking at the same on the same topic. And they kind of both came up with the same three things of why people leave or why they stay in a parish mm-hmm. and uh, divine renovation used three H's and rebuilt used three M's. Right. Okay. So hymns, homilies and hospitality, or I think uh, the, the M's were um, music, mi- uh, music message and ministry. And they both came to the same realities that, uh, places that are really intentional about the quality of their music, the quality of their preaching and the quality of their hospitality and ministry and all the things that kind of surround the, the, the liturgy itself for the worship on a Sunday, um, that those are the, uh, the, the, the game, I was going to say game breakers. That's not what I want to say. Deal breakers. Deal breakers. Game right. makers. I don't know. Deal game breakers. changers, deal game breakers. Changers. Yeah. Game makers, go. game breakers. Okay. Whatever. Um, that th- th- those are the, the deal breakers for people. Right. right. 
But what I've been thinking is, but there are so many um, really holy families that I see in parishes where I've been around in my own parish, where even while there's a lack of good music, sometimes uh, a lack of good preaching and a lack of hospitality, there are still families who stick it out because they know that their hunger is for something deeper than just the music, the preaching, and the kind of culture of the parish. Their deeper hunger is for the Lord, who they meet in the sacrament of the Eucharist, mm-hmm. confession, who they know is present in his church, um, in the universal Catholic church, but then also um, in the church, in the tabernacle, and in the liturgy that they encounter in the Eucharist. Mm-hmm. And that faith is beautiful, and it's just it's challenging me as a priest, and it's it's just inviting me to offer, I think, an encouragement and a challenge to our listeners who feel outcast because of those three things or who feel like they're not being fed, right? What is the kind of quality of our hunger? Are we hungering just for kind of the shallow things that might entertain us or make it an attractive experience um, that would (laughs) bring us out of our beds on Sunday morning? Um, Or do we have a deeper hunger that's really for a relationship with the Lord? Thoughts on that? I do have a few thoughts. And I I think it's good that you have identified that we have to keep going to the deeper hunger the three H's and the three M's don't indicate like merely superficial things. Right. I mean, those things really speak about the health of a, of a parish and its worship of God, its worship experience. Um, but they, they should be pointing and in service of the deeper hunger with union with God, everyone seeking to be a living saint. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, I think this is particularly difficult in a Midwest context, especially if you're in a small town you know, when you talk about music, uh, you might be in such a small parish that there might be literally nobody in the town who has a music degree or has perhaps any professional training. Uh, and so everyone you're relying on, you know, perhaps has the same basic level of musicianship and they're, they're serving in their parish to the best that they can as a volunteer. Mm-hmm. Um, that being said, even volunteers could still be operating on good principles what is authentic sacred music? How is it honoring the Lord more than ourselves? Um, and how can music be done well with with uh, even limited resources? And to kind of fill that in too, the, if there's a deeper hunger that's there from parishioners and from priests alike, what is the music pointing to, right? It's right. like the choice of music and the way that the music is treated isn't just, well, this is this is the music that makes me feel good or this is music that I remember from I was a kid, or this is music that has somehow now become tradition over the past 30, 40 years. But like, what is music that actually draws us into a deeper union with God, a deeper praising right. of his glory? Yeah. Right. We're going to come back and we're going to do another episode just on church music. That'd be great. Um, but then when it comes to like hospitality, again, that can be really tricky in a small town context. Um, you know, if you grow up in a very small parish, literally everybody knows everybody's name. And there, there's a beauty to that, you know, like, oh, Mrs. Smith is missing in the third pew. I've used this example in previous episodes. Somebody should probably drive by her farm and figure out if Mrs. Smith is okay today. Um, that necessarily kind of breeds a culture in which there's an expectancy and a familiarity with everybody. And then, therefore, when, when you have guests, <laughs> that almost catches you off guard yeah. because it becomes so rare uh, that there isn't necessarily a structure or a, a culture built up of hospitality because everyone is so familiar with one another in a small Midwest rural environment. Yeah, It doesn't necessarily lend itself to a real transient environment that you might get at a college campus or in a downtown urban parish where people are coming in and out for a daily noon mass in a busy workday. 
Um, so I, I think there's there's a familiarity and there's a, there's perhaps a, an expectancy of just the normal things that this is how we do things here because we don't often have things that take us out of our norm in in a small rural environment. Two things. I'm I'm grateful you said that because there's two things along the same line that I've I've thought a lot uh, being in in rural Iowa here where I'm at is that one the the familiarity of parishes in some ways the normal that was present even. 30, 40 years ago, it's not as present anymore because families used to be so big, even around here in Lamar's, when I think of the, these towns, like not even a town, Neptune, uh, Struble and Ellendale are these tiny little communities that, Struble's a town, but Ellendale and Neptune were just a church on a road. Right. And Neptune's road is only paved because there's a church there. But the families were huge. I mean, these families were like a family of 12 and one of the kids had 12 kids. So, I mean, there's Sitzmans all over the place who were, who mm-hmm. were Neptune because there were huge families. Well, in, in that case the parish is packed with all of these families. So the natural hospitality that just happens of all of these families spending time together. But as families continue to shrink, as the number of parishioners who are actually there continue to shrink, you feel the lack of the natural hospitality that was present because there was just a ton of kids running around playing together, a ton of aunts and uncles of those kids, brothers and sisters, cousins and all that Mm -hmm. just present at the parish. So now you just, it just feels, it just feels kind of dead. Like it just feels kind of, lackluster when there's really no people talking afterwards because those family connections have gone away. The other thing I've thought about often is in small towns with many different types of uh, Christian denominations or in a city, uh, Protestants have always had to be more intentional and evangelical because they're always competing against other Protestant churches, especially other non-denominational evangelical Protestant churches. They have to show up the next one down the street so that people come to theirs instead of going to the other one. Mm -hmm. Whereas Catholics, our mentality, the kind of parochial mentality is that we have a Catholic church established in this neighborhood and all the Catholics who live here will come to this church. And if new Catholics move here, well, they'll come to the church. Mm -hmm. That's also dropped off now too, that even the Catholics who have always lived there no longer come, but especially the new ones who come don't come. And that's all the discussion of the new evangelization of what it's look like to reach out to the people who have been fallen away. But in some ways we still work out of this old model with our churches, right? That we're maybe doing hospitality so poorly because it's never really been a need in the past. Like right. what you're saying, like it was natural in the past and it was also unnecessary in like an urban or a small rural environment because the people who were Catholic, they just came. Right. But I think there's a lot of people waking up to realize what was working in the past or what we took for granted in the past, what culturally was present in the past is no longer there. Yeah. <laughs> and it's absolutely. no longer working. Oh, and the, and the models. Sorry, Taylor. I said, absolutely. I take it, I take it back. Um, <laughs> the models have to change. Definitely. Definitely. <laughs> yes. Yeah. You know. Well, just to move then from those. Well, yeah, and then lastly, the homilies too. I think uh, in Evangelii Gaudium, Pope Francis's first uh, post-synodal, exert- or no, an apostolic exhortation is what he wrote, right? Mm-hmm. Um he call he stops talking about evangelization kind of abstractly in the middle of the document and just spends a lot of time, a lot of ink kind of calling priests out to preach better mm-hmm. <laughs> and just really like, I mean, it just gets directly at priests. Like you need to preach better. Mm-hmm. Um, and, it, and it's true. And what I've noticed, I, I made a comment about this in seminary once, but I've noticed this myself, other Christian ministers, other Protestant pastors, they spend most of their week in preparation for their one sermon, maybe mm-hmm. even just like one service that they Mm -hmm. have. But I notice as a priest, we preach every single day. We preach a daily mass every single day, Mm -hmm. which is a different style than Sunday preaching. But what I've noticed in the temptation myself is that because every day involves just kind of like a quick preparation for like a little reflection on the scripture readings, it's easy to allow Sunday because you get busy and it's at the end of the work week. 
it's easy for the Sunday homily to become just like a slightly longer daily mass homily where you're just kind of riffing on the scriptures rather than spending the time to really communicate what the Holy Spirit's working in our hearts to the particular needs of the people at that time. Right. So like we need to work on hymns, homilies, and hospitality from the church side of things and people who are committed in the church. Definitely. But to just like spend a little bit of time on this deeper hunger that's there, I think it is helpful for us to discern what am I being fed by or what am I hungering when I make that comment? Well, I'm not being fed. The church mm-hmm. isn't feeding me. Because, um, yeah, it's like junior high kids just eating Doritos all the time. Like if that's if that's what your hunger's for, like the, the usually no offense against junior high kids, but like not having a developed taste for something like more refined, they're not going to appreciate like the craft of gourmet food. Right. Right. They're just going to like just give me the chicken nuggets and the Doritos. Like mm-hmm. that's all I want. So what's the quality of our hunger? Um, and is it, is that at, at a deeper level? Is it really a hunger for union with God? Um, because that's what's really on offer by the church. We don't always tap into that. We don't always represent that well in those kind of three things, hymns, homilies, and hospitality. But what we have on offer is Jesus's life, his grace. A teacher just asked me the other day, like, Father, how do I talk about, how do I talk about grace with my, with my students? I said, it's God's life, and he wants to share it with us. And that first paragraph of the catechism um, is all about God sharing his own life with us. And mm-hmm. that's what's available. That's, so that's what our hunger should be for. Right. I, I think you just kind of categorized that well. The church has an enormous amount of work to do right now in improving her efforts in hymns, hospitality, and homilies. Absolutely. We could admit that. We can own that. And, and I think people are trying to make good strides in that direction. But for, for everyone who is just trying to categorize their church experience according to those three levels, perhaps you, we could phrase it this way. Are you just looking for a concert, for community, and a teacher? Mm. You know what I'm saying? That's really helpful. Are you just looking for a good choir as for, to lead you in a concert? Are you just looking for a nice community to shake your hand, learn your name, and give you a donut? Mm-hmm. Let you drink coffee in the pews. Right. <laughs> and are you just looking for um, a teacher who might, maybe can inform you, maybe inspire you intellectually, or maybe just kind of give you an exhortation that just moves your heart? Mm. Um, all those things are good in of themselves, but if, if that's just the only thing you're looking for, then the deeper hunger for union with God, to be a saint, to actually grow in holiness, to actually receive more grace throughout your life, to be a living fountain of grace for yourself and for others, that's not, that's not being met then. <laughs> you've, you've allowed yourself to stop at uh, concert community and teacher or, mm. or exhorter or yeah. influencer yeah. in the homilist, right? Um, so yes, I think the church has some work to do on how we improve our worship of God, how we build up community, how we show hospitality and how we actually exhort and move minds and hearts. Mm -hmm. But also for everyone in the pews listening, um, what is the deeper hunger you're looking for? And does it actually involve your holiness or are you allowing yourself to just stop at the concert and community? Yeah. Yeah, we started off talking about it's Lent, and I'm just thinking, the, the analogy just popped in my head of, um, I've had the opportunity, you know, Father Taylor gets a lot of shout-outs now because he called this out for saying absolutely. Mm-hmm. Um, he's a big, like, uh, big wine-tasting guy, and we've mm. gone wine-tasting a few different times, and, uh, and I've got some, the, the deacon here in Lamar is a big Napa wine guy. So the difference between, like, really cheap, kind of, like, sugary candy wine that just is, like, sweet, fleeting, 
does does the job with the alcohol content and like that's it. Mm-hmm. The difference between that and one of these like like where the grapes are particularly grown on this mountain instead of this mountain because the sun hits it at this time and the way that the water evaporates off the mountain and like all the particularities that are there and that like these grapes have been particularly chosen from this mountain for this batch and they've been like specifically blended with these barrels and all this stuff. The difference is incredible, but you have to have this capacity to recognize that there is a difference between the two mm-hmm. and you have to like give the kind of like cheap candy, like just really like sweet stuff a break mm-hmm. and, and maybe even allow the, the depth of, of flavors and the nuances, you almost have to like get into that a little bit mm-hmm. and, and to recognize, okay, it might be a little, might be a little like bitter at first. It might be a little strong and astringent that I'm not used to, mm-hmm. but the depth of flavor that opens up is, is wild and it's incredible. Right. And I just, I've just noticed that like, I don't know, being at a dinner or something and like trying something, I'm like, man, like <laughs> that's okay because I've had this kind of deeper experience. Um, Jesus uses analogy with wine and scriptures all the time. So, you know, it makes sense, but the same is true with our spiritual life. If, if we're just expecting kind of like a little self-help, like little nugget on a Sunday, like you just said, of Mm -hmm. a nice little concert that gets me going, gets me revved up, nice little community that makes me feel warm and cozy and like gets me out of the house for just a little bit and like get to say, say hi. Um, and then a nice little talk that, Oh, okay. That's a nice little nugget to take away. It like, that's kind of like that cheap candy sweet wine where it's mm-hmm. just like, okay, yep, yeah, well, nice little taste. Okay, does, mm-hmm. does the job for me for a week and then, okay, back to the grind. And, uh, you know, that's fine. I just had my little sip. But to really experience, like, what what is the the height and breadth and width of the of the riches God has for us, right? Mm-hmm. And, like, to, to allow that to be opened up and to really experience that in its richness like a fine wine with age. Like, yeah. It takes a little time and it takes time to develop that taste and develop that desire for that. Um, but we all have that capacity. Yeah. Um, if we just look a little deeper, Lent, what a beautiful time to like look a little deeper, set aside the kind of fleeting things to look a little deeper at the um, deeper things. And that's a very helpful analogy, uh, applying the cheap wine versus the, the the more expertise wine or the, the um, really high-end wine. Because anyone who can appreciate those fine wines, what have they done? They have allowed themselves to maybe be disciplined into a refinement, right? Mm. They, they've embraced the refinement to set aside the cheap wine and to learn the subtleties, to go deeper, to, to inquire, uh, to make assessments, and to, to really look for the subtleties that uh, can display excellence, right? Yeah. At, and that, that refinement takes some discipline. Mm. Uh, and it, you know, it takes some initiative and some effort to go deeper and to want more. So I think this has been a helpful conversation just to kind of say, what is the deeper hunger, right? Thanks, Father Travis. It's always good to be with you. And thanks to all of our listeners as well. Absolutely. Thanks for tuning in. Send your questions and comments to outcastcatholic at gmail.com. Catch you next time and God bless.